today. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's a really good crowd today. That's, that's scary. <laughs> Not scary. It's fun. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm. I. You don't need to tell. I don't need to tell you what this first. The first slides. The first slides are about the this series. I think. Um, my name is is Tim Coleman, and I. Um, I'm an astronomer astrophysicist at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and I was asked to talk today about the the first results from the James Webb Space Telescope, and that's and I think that's partly because I gave a talk a little over a year ago about what the James Webb Sp Space Telescope would do. So that was all in the future, and now it's in the present. So I'm trying to. Uh, Bring you up to date on what it's what it's been doing, and so, but I don't really like just giving lectures. I mean, it's 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 too bad that I just have to talk to you and we can't interact. And so I have another idea about how to do this, and so I need help from Sarah. But I have a bunch. I have several different topics to talk about, and I would like you guys to vote. And choose the number one, two, three, four, five, and six. So, so maybe the best way to do it is for you to choose your favorite. I'm going to run through the the choices, and you vote for one. And then Sarah tabulates, and maybe some of them will get zero, and some of them will get twenty. And I'll then I'll go through them in order of of how popular they are. So if if you if you know if one of them got a zero and I run through all the others, and you don't, you're not interested in the one with zero votes. Then, then uh, you can, you can tune out. Anyway, so that way you get a little bit of choice in what in what I talk about. So I think I'm hoping that's a little more fun, a little more interesting for everybody, more interesting for me for sure. So so if you guys understand, I mean, let me know if if this isn't clear, um, but. Um, if you understand it, then I'm going to run through the list of choices and then I'm going to run through it again and ask you to sort of vote. And it doesn't matter if you, you know, because I'll, I might get to all of them. So, so, so it's just kind of a fun way of organizing my talk. So it's not just me talking to you, but Sarah, you're going to have to keep track of the number of votes for each one. And I don't know how we vote. Maybe if we just, if you just raise your hand, if your, if your video is on. That's a vote. Okay. I have a question. Sorry to interrupt, Dr. Coleman. How many choices are there? Six. Six. Okay. So we can, guys, we can just do numbers like one through six. So for everyone, like if it's like vote for number one, write a one in the chat. And then if it's vote for number two, put a two in the chat. Do you get it? Does everyone understand that? Yeah. Yep. That's okay. great. Perfect. I can't see the whole chat. So, Sarah, you're going yeah, to. Yeah, I can read it. Don't worry. Okay, no, I, that's a great idea. That makes a whole lot of sense. Much better than raising your hand because then she, she has to look at everybody's hand. Okay, so here, let's run through the choices. The first choice is how galaxies evolve. And so that's, that's choice number one. So I'm just gonna read you the choices and then I'm gonna go back to the beginning and then we can vote. So galaxy evolution is number one. Nebulae is number two. And if you don't know what that is, you're not, don't be embarrassed. Number three is a comparison of different kinds of telescopes, i.e., how does James Webb 
compare with what other telescopes and why. And then another one is how telescopes work, some sort of kind of mechanical, I mean, just the nuts and bolts of, of how a telescope works, the most important thing, at least to me, in my opinion. Then the early universe, what happened close to the time of the Big Bang, or what we learn about that from James Webb. And finally, exoplanets, planets around other stars near, near relatively near to Earth. Okay? So, if there aren't any, so sorry I'm happy to, to answer questions. Fast. I'm sorry. How many can they vote for? Can they vote for how many they want, or like one, or like one or two? Sure, you can vote for as many as you want. Okay, so just vote for the ones that you want. If you can, if you, Sarah, can, can keep track of that, then that's great. I'm happy to, to do it that way. And then, but still, the number with the most votes is goes first, and so on and so forth down the list, down the list, up to six. I'm right? seeing one in five the most right now. So people are already voting? Yeah, people are, they started voting like right when you started talking. <laughs> okay, that's great. That's fine. Let me just run through them again so that everybody gets a chance to, to hear it again. Um, and when I get done with that, then we, then we'll figure out who got the most, how the votes tallied up. So the first one was galaxy evolution. Second is nebulae. Third is comparison of telescopes. Fourth is how telescopes work. Fifth is early universe, and sixth was exoplanets. All right. So, Sarah, when you're ready, or when everybody's ready, you can tell me. Yeah, you guys don't have to spam the, the chat. Don't spam it, because I would like to see, like, everyone's. But um, I'm seeing the most one, five, and six, and then some twos. But everyone just, like... Try to vote once for like the ones that you want. Just don't like keep spamming something. They really want them. Yeah, I think the most is one, five, six, and then two. One, five, two six, like and then two. Cool. Okay, so so let's just say one is top, five is second, six is third, two is fourth, and the yeah. others are. And then I see, I saw like one for four. So four is like very last. Okay. Wow. All right. So that's four is the last. I got that. Great. Okay. So let's go to number one. Galaxy evolution. So the galaxy evolution is really interesting. I, I, I want to just preface all of this. First of all, a lot of what I'm going to show you, you've, you might have already seen because a lot of it has been in the newspapers and on CNET and all sorts of places. So, so it may be repetition of what you've already seen, but I hope I'm going to give you a little more detail and you're totally welcome to ask questions. And I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll ask for questions after each topic, each of these six or however many we get through so so you don't have to hold your questions till the end um but so so if you have a question about that particular topic then we'll have a little question time for that and and so forth anyway galaxy evolution is really interesting because we think the universe formed from a lot of gas that was 
created at the time of the Big Bang, and it collapsed into things which under its, under its own gravity. And the reason it collapsed is because it wasn't perfectly smooth. It had little wiggles and ripples in the density. So there were places where the density was a little higher and places where the density was a little lower. And one thing that we know about gravity is that gravity pulls on everything in all different directions, but the, but the more mass you have, the more gravity. And so these, the denser regions had more gravity than the less dense regions by only a very, very small amount. I mean, this, the amount, the difference in density between the dense, denser regions and the less dense regions was, you know, like a millionth or something like that, really, really small. But still enough that the denser regions pulled on the less dense regions and things collapsed into blobs of gas, which then formed stars and galaxies and the, all the stuff that we can see in the universe now. And so the process of how that happened is really, is still not completely understood. And so, so that's why galaxy evolution is important or of great interest. And, um, and that's one of the big things that the James Webb Space Telescope is, is trying to do, is to try and understand that better. And so one place where they, 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 where it has, it has looked for this stuff is um, in this, this place called Stefan's Quintet, which is five galaxies very close to each other on the sky, you know, which makes a beautiful picture and, um, and they're interacting or some of them are interacting with each other. And the interactions between galaxies is also very interesting because if you think about it, you know, these little clumps, they were much too small at first to be stars, even to be stars or galaxies. And the reason, and one way they grew was by colliding with each other and, and having things grow um, by, by kind of grabbing pieces of each other. And this is an the Stefan's Quintet is an example of how that's happening, or well, it, this is happening relatively nearby, but um, but that this might be an example of how it happened in the early universe. So there's five galaxies. It really doesn't look like five on this image, does it? It looks like there's four, but lo and behold, there's two together in one of these blobs. And so there's five, and the thing that's one thing that's interesting about them is that they're not all together. This one, the one in the upper left, is actually at a different distance. So it looks like it's together with the others, but it's not. It's much closer. So, um, so it's not really five galaxies. It's four galaxies with one that's in the way. And um, this apparently is the largest image that the James Webb Space Telescope has taken. It's a, it's a mosaic of many, many different pointings with, with the telescope. It's not just one image because it's too big on the sky. The telescope has a fairly small field of view. 
Um, so that took a lot of work to stitch all these pictures together and make this and make this beautiful image. So what else can we see from this image? Well, obviously the fact that there's two galaxies together in this one blob implies that they're actually interacting with each other. They're crashing together. And presumably, eventually they will be one and you won't be able to tell that they were actually two of it previously. And what else can we see? Well, we see these very bright white blobs in the center. If some of them, but not all of them, the one on the lower left doesn't have that. And those are, those are probably black holes, which are making a lot of light as they suck gas into them. And they're making, and, and so they're, this is what we call an active nucleus. An active nucleus is, a, is we, think, we think is a black hole. And many, many galaxies have them. Maybe a 10th of all galaxies appear to have an active nucleus. So that's, that's really amazing because that, there's a lot going on in the, in the nucleus of, this galaxy, of these galaxies. And then you see this pink stuff or orange stuff around the outside, and that is gas, which is being heated up and shining because of the interaction of the galaxy. Well, in this galaxy, in the one in the middle, um, the, where's my cursor? The one in the middle, there's probably a, some, some hot gas being spewed out from the active galaxies and it's heating up this pink stuff around the outside. The one on the lower left, it looks like the pink stuff is everywhere. It's reaching all the way into the center. And there, um, we think um, there is no active nucleus, so something else is heating up that gas. And I don't think I know exactly what that is. So it's, so it's slightly different, this one on the lower left. And the one on the lower right doesn't have any pink stuff, right? It's been stripped of most of, the, most of its gas, and all you see is this fuzzy blob, which is, which is probably a black hole making an active nucleus in this galaxy. This one looks a lot smaller than the others. And then the one on the upper left, which I told you is, a, is, is not part of the, is not really at the same distance as the others, you can see what we call a bar, this, this sort of line of white stuff, which is, which is a different structure of the galaxy than, than, than the typical spiral structure that we see in many galaxies. So, um, so this is really amazing. We're seeing, you know, sort of really intimate stuff about these galaxies, even though they're really far away this is a much better image of the of this of this set of galaxies than has ever been gotten before. So this was a real exciting result from from the James Webb Space Telescope. Dr. So, Collins, I mean, yes. Colin, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Did you see the question in the chat? No, I'm sorry, I can't it. see the chat very well. So there's a question in the chat saying, "What about the trail of gas leading off to the left side?" Oh yeah, look at that. Um, well, the galaxy, yes. I mean, the other thing about galaxies is that the, the light that you see from the galaxy 
is not all the stuff that's in the galaxy. Galaxies have what's called dark matter. And we don't really know what dark matter is. It doesn't make light. <laughs> that's why it's called dark matter. But it does make gravity. And it's what holds the galaxy together. And if you, if you, if you count how many stars there are and how much gas there is in a galaxy and figure out how much gravity that would make, it's not enough to hold the galaxy together. Something else is holding the galaxy together and it's the gravity from the dark matter. And so the, the true extent of the galaxy, does, it doesn't stop where the light stops. So, so in all of these, from all of these blobs, you can sort of see they have a boundary to them, but the boundary isn't really where the dark matter stops. The dark matter goes on considerably further out. And so this trail is more like where the dark matter is ending than it is like where the, the, the gas and dust are ending. Anyway, that's the best I can do to answer that question. It's a, that's a very good question. Okay, so um, let's go on. Here's another one, another galaxy, which is a little bit similar, but not, not quite, it's not, it's, there's not a clear interaction. This is a galaxy that's all by itself. So there's not a clear, clear evidence for it being um, crashing into any other galaxy. And it, galaxies have boring names, mo many, most of them. They start NGC and then a number. And NGC stands for the New General Catalog. It's not new anymore. This was done almost over 100, well, about 100 years ago. So these were all numbered. And, and, and obviously, there can only be 10,000 or less than 10,000 of them because the num their numbers all have four digits or less. So, so they've run out of numbers. They ran out of numbers a long time ago, and now they're starting to name them with other things. But any galaxy that has NG an NGC number is one that's been known about for quite a long time. And so this one, NGC 7469, is a galaxy that has both an active nucleus and evidence for what we think is active star formation way outside. So that's kind of like the, the, the ones that we saw in Stefan's Quintet where there was an interaction, but here there's no interaction. It's just, it's just an active nucleus. And then the, the, the distance, more distant stuff is being lit up by the, um, by the, what, by something that's coming out from the active nucleus. And in this image on the left, the, the nucleus is overexposed. You can't really see it because there's too much light coming from it. So they've given you two different images. One is the outer region, which is, which is fainter. So they're showing you in, with the proper exposure, the outer region, and then over here, this inset in the middle of the, of the slide is the inner region where the active nucleus is shown with the proper exposure for that. So, so it's not so overexposed and you can see some of the detail. And what you see is there's um, a, lot of, a lot of gas down there, which is probably coming out of the black hole. Um, and then there's some gas which is being heated by the gas that's coming out, which is kind of this, this blobby stuff up here on the upper right. And, um, 
and then you can see that further out is this is the gas from star formation which is being lit up by something we think it's probably the gas coming from the center and there's a little cartoon here which shows you how that how that all works the yellow circle is the is the molecular gas the star formation gas and the inner region shows the um something the outflowing gas and this little shock heated blob of gas and everything is the whole thing is rotating because rotation is what keeps galaxies from collapsing if there were no rotation then gravity would just pull everything in um but it doesn't rotate like a wheel like a rigid thing some of the inner parts rotate faster than the outer parts it's more like a planetary system than like a rigid wheel so what else can i say about this um there's there's and and you can see on this image you can see these these radial lines um which look like the spokes of a wheel but those are actually in the camera the camera itself they're called diffraction spikes and they're an artifact of the camera they're not real things on the sky um and this white thing up here is a star it's not part of that part of that galaxy and and so this one this this image did not come from the this one hasn't been in the newspaper this came from this is a recent um, scholarly paper that was written about this work that hasn't been published yet. So, so you can just to give you a feel for it. This on the lower right here's the here's the the front page of this paper that they wrote describing their observations, and here's the title: um, Resolving Supu Su Circumnuclear Gas Dynamics in NGC seventy four sixty nine. And here's the list of, of all the people who worked on this paper. You can see there's quite a long list. So these are, it's a lot of work to, to plan the observations for these things and to then take the data and analyze it and make sure you're getting everything right about it. Dr. Okay, so Paul, that's- Sorry to interrupt, but there's one question about that. Well, that's great because I, that's, that's what I had for galaxy evolution and so it's time for any questions that anybody might have about this topic, um, if you have any. So there's one question at chat that says, so there could be more galaxies before they collided? I'm sorry, is that referring to NGC 7469 or, well, yes, for both of them. The answer is, of course, yes. And that's something we really would like to know. We would like to know how many little galaxies did it take to make the big galaxies or did the big galaxies form by themselves i mean it's possible that they formed kind of in isolation right and 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 they never collided with another galaxy because space is big you know the the space the distance between these galaxies is is really huge and and if you think about it it takes a long time for a thing for gas to move or for any object to move far enough to actually crash into another galaxy. So, so it's not clear really whether galaxies form more by colliding with each other or whether they form more by growing in isolation. Um, but yes, it's completely possible. And, and some people think that, that a, an active galaxy like this 
like NGC 7469, has to have been formed by a collision. Because, because what will happen fairly quickly in a, in a galaxy like NGC 7469 is that the gas that's available, the, the reason the black hole is shining so brightly is because gas is falling in. But there's only so much gas. And most of the gas is orbiting around the galaxy in order to not fall in. So it doesn't fall in very fast. So it's gonna run out of gas before, you know, before it gets old, before other things change. It's gonna run out of gas fairly quickly. And so one of the few ways to bring more gas in to make it shine, make the black hole shine is the way it's doing is by colliding with other galaxies. And, and so some people think that the collisions are, are really ultimately responsible for, for allowing galaxies to, to, be, to have a bright nucleus like NGC 7469. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm going on pretty long here. Um, there and, early was, and more more questions? Yeah, one more question. It says, how far away are those galaxies? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I don't know the answer. <laughs> I knew the answer for some of the others. Um, they are about 100, 100 million light years, a few hundred million light years away, but I don't know the actual number. And I should. They're not as they're not the most distant. They're not really at the edge of what can be observed with the James Webb Space Telescope. And I, I'm going to get to that. I hope. I'll, I think maybe in this next topic, I'll try. I'll try and talk about that. But so these are are kind of moderate distance. They're not kind of in our backyard, but they're they're moderate. They're moderately far away. Okay. Let's go to early universe because that was the next topic that um, that we talked about doing. So I'm sure you've all seen this um, image or an image more or less like it. This is what's called the Hubble ultra deep field, not extremely deep field. It's the ultra deep field, and. Um, and this was an image taken by the Hubble Space Telescope, taking 23 days of ob observing at a piece of the sky, which looked like it was empty before, at, before they did it, you know, they had, there, there are surveys of the entire sky. And so, so people have looked at every square degree of the sky and made maps of all the stars that they could, and galaxies that they could see. But they didn't really look very hard. They they looked with the with a ground-based telescope and you know and and sort of went down to a certain faintness. But if with with Hubble in 1996 or thereabouts, they decided they were going to go as deep as they could. You know, basically look at, at with as much look for the faintest possible things in a piece of sky that had never been observed before. And that was what they this is what they found. It's rich with lots and lots of stuff, mostly all galaxies. I mean, pretty much all galaxies, but all different shapes and sizes. Some of, and lots of these little tiny blue galaxies, which nobody had ever seen before. So that looked, it's almost like, you know, you go look in the ocean and instead of seeing sharks and whales, you see little tiny minnows everywhere and, and some sharks and whales. 
but that was something that came from the James Webb from the Hubble. So now the James Webb Space Telescope has done a, a deep field, not 23 days of observing, um, but but still, in fact, this this is actually more sensitive than the Hubble um, image, and and here and and this one has also been in in some of the press releases, so you might have seen it already. And here you see a lot of similar things. You see lots and lots of teeny little galaxies, and you see lots and lots of a few, some bigger galaxies, blobby looking things, which are which are. Um, some of them are nearby, but a lot of them are quite distant. And this thing with the spikes, with these six rays coming out from it, is a star, which is much, much brighter. And so that's the these the spikes come from from reflection inside the telescope. They're not really real uh, stuff that's being emitted by the by the galaxy. And then, but the other thing that that's that's really cool about this image are these things that look like little lines. Um, and you can see them all over the place. And this, these are actually images of galaxies which have been, where the light has been bent by gravity. So if you have a galaxy which is far away and another galaxy or other object, but let's call it a galaxy which is nearby, and the light from the distant galaxy passes near the, near the, the, um, the, 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 the more just more closer galaxy, the light can be bent and it, it sort of acts like a lens, but it's not a very good lens. It distorts the image of the galaxy from far away and gives you these these lines. It stretches them into lines like this. Anyway, this is a really interesting thing to understand. It's one way that you can actually look for faint things in the foreground, because if you see one of these lines, you know there's something along your path which is bending the light, and you don't. You might not. You might not know that it's there any other way except by seeing this. So this is, so this is a very cool thing, and it's also so it's a good way of trying to figure out how much mass there is in the universe, which is a very big question, and still still very interesting. Um, so let me see. Okay, so this is actually a cluster of galaxies. Yes. I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's like three questions in the chat. Okay. Okay. So the Let me, first... can I just make sure I've covered everything I wanted oh, to yeah. say about the yeah, slide, and then I'll then then I'll then you can read me the questions. Hang okay. on a second. Um. Yeah. So some of them, and and yeah, I guess I pretty much said everything. That the this is a cluster of galaxies. So so many of these galaxies are actually at the similar distance, and they're interacting with each other they're they're feeling each other's gravity they sort of form into a clump which is which is a whole nother topic which i don't really have time to go into but but um but that's one that's one reason why this is a very interesting uh piece of the sky to look at this is not exactly like the hubble ultra deep field because this was not a blank piece of the sky this is a piece of the sky where they knew there were there was this cluster of galaxies ahead of time Okay, great. So please tell me the questions. Okay, so the first one is the brighter ones at least, is it a cluster? Um the cluster is all of the galaxies that are 
that are stretched into funny, into long lines. The, the brighter objects, yes, some of the brighter, the, the brighter objects are also in the cluster. Yes. And then the next question is, how close is the star if it appears to be closer and brighter than most of the galaxies? Okay, that one I think I can answer. That the star is in our galaxy, right? Our galaxy is about 30,000 light years across. The distances to these other galaxies we measure in the millions or hundreds of millions of light years. So, so the, the star is, is within, you know, 10,000, probably less than certainly less than 10,000 light years away from our, from us. So that's, uh, you know, thousands of times closer than the galaxy, the galaxies in this image. And then wait, isn't that like a black hole when light bends? The black hole will bend light. It turns out that all matter can bend light, <laughs> not just black holes, but black holes for sure are an important place where light can get bent. And that's, I mean, that's because they have such strong gravity. So, so, I mean, I could have, I didn't give you, I didn't give you black holes as one of my possible topics, but there's this famous image of the black hole at the center of our galaxy, which you might've seen, which looks sort of has a dark center and then a ring around the outside. And the ring is the light being bent, light that's coming from beyond the black hole is being bent and and producing this, this ring, which usually looks orange or yellow on the images that you see of, of, the, of it. So yes, absolutely. But, but these are not, this, is, this light, in this case, it's not black holes. It's, it's, it's ordinary galaxies probably that are doing the bending. And then the last question is, are the very bright stars supernova? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure they're not. No, supernova are, are um, would yes, they would be extremely bright if they were nearby, and if they were in a distant galaxy, they would probably a, a bright supernova can shine brighter than the whole, or as almost as bright as the whole galaxy for a little while. So the galaxy would look very different, and and this would be people would be talking about it if there were supernova in this in this image. So I'm, as far as I know, there are no supernovas in this image. Okay, maybe we should go on to the next topic, which was exoplanets. So, um, hang on. Okay, so this one, I, I mean, this one is, um, first of all, I think that the James Webb Space Telescope hasn't spent very much time working on exoplanets yet. And that's, um, and I'm sure that will change with time or else, or else they just haven't done a very good job of publicizing what they've done because there's, there's this particular thing, which I'm going to show you, but I haven't, but kind of digging through the, the other work that, that I found that, I, that people have, pub, have tried to publish, um, I couldn't find much else about exoplanets. So, so there's, basically this one exoplanet which has been this has been publicized um quite a bit um, from the james webb space telescope project people and it's very interesting 
and 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 this is this is an exoplanet called wasp 6996b now i mean got to remember in a, a minute ago we were talking about stuff you know in the halfway to the um halfway to the edge of the universe basically millions or hundreds of millions of light years away this stuff is less than a light year or approximately a light year away a few light years away much closer and and so now we're talking about our neighborhood of our of our solar system still far but but nowhere near as far as the as the as the pictures of galaxies um and wasp 96b is is a star well wasp is a star and i think it's in a constellation which is why it's called the wasp one of the it's why it's named that way um but one of the stars in this constellation has a planet going around it and these planets are found by observing the star very very carefully and and what you see is that the planet comes in front of the star every few weeks or months. Well, I don't know actually weeks um, for one of these for for and that and that when it when the planet comes in front of the star, the star gets a little dimmer. And what and and so if you look for that and you look and make sure that it's actually happening periodically because the planet has to go in a regular period round and round that's a sign of a, of a planet and then you can study the planet by figuring out how much light it blocks from the star how fast it's going around you can figure out what it's likely distance from the star is and things like that so wasp 96b is one of the closer and more interesting stars around planets around nearby stars um but the real you know how do you learn more so, so once you've discovered that there's a planet around a nearby star, what are the next things that you'd like to do? You can't send a rocket there because um, it's it's still, it would take, you know, 100 years to get there. And by then we would, we would it would be a different group of people back here on Earth um, to get to analyze the data. So the next thing you can do is you look at, at what happens to the light that's absorbed by the planet. In other words, some of the light from the star hits the planet and gets destroyed or absorbed by the planet, but some of it passes through the atmosphere of the planet and gets to us. And as it passes through the atmosphere, it gets partially absorbed. And, and it, it turns out that it gets absorbed. The part that gets absorbed tells you what the atmosphere is made of. And and, that turn, and that's because different molecules in the atmosphere of the planet absorb light at different frequencies or wavelengths. And so this picture on this slide is what we call a spectrum. So this is basically the number, the amount of light that we see from the planet at, as a function of its wavelength. Whoops, that was not what I wanted to do. Yeah, so, so, and you can see that some wavelengths, there are little dips, and other wavelengths, there's little bumps. And it turns out the dips and the bumps tell you what 
is doing the, what's in the, the atmosphere of the planet. And unfortunately, this is really hard to read, but the bumps, there's two bumps here, which are at 1.28 and about two or one point, something like 1.9. This is in microns and they come from water. So these bumps, the fact that there's bumps here tells you that there is water in this atmosphere. I mean, probably not liquid water, but probably water vapor. Just like clouds on the, in the Earth's atmosphere. We, clouds in our atmosphere are you know, produced primarily by water vapor. And so this is really interesting. I mean, it's really exciting to find water in a planet around in the atmosphere of a planet. And that's, you know, partly because if we were interested in looking for life or evidence of life on other planets, we think water is a necessary thing to have. And so if you find water, that's kind of the first, the first uh, test for the possibility of life on a nearby planet. And so this is the spectrum, this, this picture doesn't look very, very nice. I mean, if you were plotting some other data or making some other kind of plot, you would say this looks kind of bumpy. You know, the, the, the little white dots are, are kind of spread out and they're not, they're, you see this blue line and the blue line, little white dots don't really follow the blue line all the time. But nonetheless, this is a big discovery. This is the first time this has been done. And the James Webb Space Telescope is really going to be the very best instrument for doing this. And it's going to do it with several other planets. Um, so, um, so this is the beginning of something, we think. And I, th and I think that if there is going to be a discovery of a, uh, a planet that really looks like it could have life like we have on Earth, um, James Webb Space Telescope is going to be the one, the, the instrument that's going to do it. So, so it might not look like that exciting to you, but it's pretty exciting. And certainly the search for life in, a, a, in other planets outside the solar system is a huge thing for, for astronomers. Okay, so that's all I have on exoplanets. Um, just one slide, I'm afraid. Um, so can you can you, do you have any questions? Yeah, there are a few questions in the chat. So, let me scroll up. One of them is, how do you find distant gas giants if they take hundreds of years to orbit? Um, if they take hundreds of years, that's, that's very difficult. That's not, that's a, I mean, that's a limitation of, of, of everything that we can do, right? We, we only understand times, times that matter to us as humans. So I understand a day, I understand a week, or even a month or a year. But if you talk to me about 100 years, that's, that's just too long. I can't, I can't take data for that long. I can't, I can't test any model over such long time scales. So, so the, I, the, that's a long-winded way of saying I don't think it can be done. Are there any other questions that you guys have? Someone asked, why is it called the way it is? Why is it called WASP-96B? 
I think that's what they're asking. It's because it's Anything? named after this this star group called WASP and 96, there, it must be numbered. The stars must be numbered. I think the B refers to the planet. The 96 refers to the star. And the WASP refers to the group of stars in the sky. These are kind of old historical naming things, you know, if it's like, it's like when you, you know, Lewis and Clark, you know, when they went across the country, they, they got to name lots of things because they were the first ones to first Europeans to see them. And, and, and this is and astronomy is no different. The first people who look at a little patch of the sky and discover something that nobody's seen before they get to name it. And I don't, I have to say, that's kind of a messy and not very well organized process. So I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer than that. And then James, do you have a question? Cause you're raising your hand. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. What is the biggest star? Oh, the biggest star. That's a good question. Um, that's actually, in fact, if we go to the next topic, I can show you the, the region of the sky where the biggest star is, or the biggest star that we know about. Let's put it that way. Um, it's called Eta Carina, and it's a, and it's a, probably a hundred times more massive than our sun, maybe more, maybe 150. And uh, it's, it's, if there's going to be a nearby supernova in the near future, Eta Carina is a very good, good candidate for being, for having, for being that star, because this star looks like it's near the end of its life. Very, and it, anyway, very interesting star. Okay, so shall we go to the next topic? I think we're 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 getting the time is going by. Do, Sarah, do you want to, do we have time for one more quick one or or do you want to? Yeah, we we can do one more very quick one. Is it okay, Robinson, if you save your question till the end? Is that okay? Yes. Yes, it's okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, so, I'll yeah, try to make this one quick. I can make my nebulae. That was the that was the next in the popularity contest. So so this image called they call it the cosmic cliffs in Carina has been in the news a lot. So I bet you that many people have seen it. Um, and this this image is a nebula. Um, in the Carina um, region of the sky in the um, constellation, which is called Carina. It's only visible in the southern hemisphere. It's not visible in the northern hemisphere, but, it's, but it is quite easy to see with the naked eye in the southern hemisphere. So this, this stuff is further away than WASP-96b, but a heck of a lot closer than, than the Stefan's Quintet or the NGC 7469 that I showed you earlier. This gas is, is probably on the order of 10,000 light years away, or maybe 5,000 in that range. Oh, it's here. I'm sorry. It's here. 7,600. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, it's, it's in a region, they call it NGC 3324. And this is kind of cute because the NGC this new galactic, new general catalog, which they did made a hundred years ago, they didn't understand 
that some of these things that they were seeing, they were only looking at, at blobby things. They weren't looking at stars. So NGC never refers to stars. It only refers to blobby things, which, obvious, which are obviously not stars. But they didn't understand that some of the blobby things are nebula in our galaxy, and some of the blobby things are galaxies which are way far away, way outside our galaxy. So they gave them all NGC numbers. So this is NGC 3324. And, and what you're seeing here is emission, the, the, the orangey, red, yellowy stuff is molecular gas. So it's gas that's, you know, not atoms, but molecules. So primarily hydrogen molecule, that's two atoms of hydrogen or carbon dioxide molecules or carbon monoxide molecules. Those are the, and then there's a little bit of ammonia and a little bit of water. Um, those are the um, more abundant molecules in, in, these, in these kinds of um, clouds. And, and, the, and the region above where it's kind of bluey whitey, that's region with no molecules, because if the molecules were there, you wouldn't be able to see it. The molecules absorb pretty much, it's like a, you know, a foggy day, you can't see very far through the molecules. So you can see there's a region here which has been cleaned out of molecules, and then there's a region where the molecules are still there. And, and, and basically, that the, the, molecular, the molecule regions are regions where stars are being formed actively. So the molecules are cold and the gravity can make them pull together and collapse into stars. And where there's no molecules, there's no star formation going on. And the reason that there's, re there's this sort of boundary between the molecules and the un no molecules is because the bright light from the, as the stars form, they give off a lot of light. And that bright light from the forming stars destroys the molecules. So there's kind of a process of stars being formed from molecules, turning on, starting to shine, and as they do, they destroy the other mo the molecules and stop any further star formation. So you can see there's kind of a wave or a region, a boundary. This boundary is probably moving through the cloud from the region of, you know, so, so more and more molecules are getting destroyed but stars are forming at the same time. And you can, and this, this sort of white stuff that looks like steam coming off of, the, off of the molecules, that's the molecules being destroyed and getting heated up, and the atoms that are left over from the molecules being destroyed kind of streaming out. And um, so that's what that, that is. Um, so, uh, I will not say anything more about this particular slide. And um, we're really getting close to the end of the time. So I think I'm gonna stop here and take whatever questions you might have. Um, or I could, you know, and if you want to ask me things that I didn't talk about, you know, feel free, I'll try to see what I can do. Okay, so if anyone has any questions, you can raise your hand or type in the chat about like anything. There you go. So I know Robinson has one, so you guys can go ahead. Um, uh, Jackson, go first. 
Um, so I know that this the boundary is there, but I don't get how when molecules are forming something, they destroy other molecules. And lighting and light is destroying other molecules. Yeah, it's 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 a little confusing. The molecules it takes a long time. I mean, think about it, that there's a cloud, right, of molecules. It's kind of cold. The cloud has to collapse. That takes a long time. I mean, long by, by human time scales, maybe tens of thousands of years or 100,000 years. And then after that's happened, after it's collapsed, then it has to turn on as a star. And that takes a little bit of time. And then the star makes light, and that light comes out and destroys the some some of the other molecules that are left over. The whole the whole process doesn't happen immediately. It takes it takes it's like it's like a step by step thing. It's a little, I don't know. I can't think of a good analogy. Um, there must be analogies in in the in the world of animals of animals that take a long time to be born. And then after they're born, they can do things, you know, they can change their environment or, or interact with their parents or, or something, but, but it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. And, and the way this, the light destroys the molecules, that's pretty, that's actually kind of interesting because remember I showed you in the previous part about how light in that exoplanet spectrum, light likes to be absorbed at certain particular wavelengths or frequencies by molecules. I showed you how water absorbs and emits at particular frequencies or wavelengths. So what happens when light goes in and gets absorbed by, by a molecule at that particular wavelength? It makes the molecule vibrate because molecules are, are, just, are just atoms that are held together by, by electri electrical forces. So it makes the mo molecule vibrate, it gives it a little energy. But what happens if you give it too much energy it's going to vibrate itself to the point where it's just going to fall apart. And, and that's the way light destroys molecules. Anyway, hope I've answered your question. Are there any more questions that you guys have? I'll give you guys one minute to like raise your hand or type in the chat. Uh-oh, Ariana's confused. I wish I could see the chat. I can only see it briefly when it pops up and then it goes away. Someone said I heard that the largest star was Stefan too. Okay. I'm, I have to say that that doesn't fit with what I've been told, with what I know, but but I, but I'm not, but I could easily, I could be wrong. Um, I should find out. So any more last questions before we finish up you guys? I saw, I saw both Robinson and James hand go first. So one of you guys can go. Whoever talks first goes. <laughs> Um, me. 
Oh, I think I think Robinson beat you, James. Ah, oh, come on. What is an exoplanet? Oh, good question. And it's just called an exoplanet because it's around a star which isn't our sun. I mean, the sun is our sun, right? And the Earth goes around our sun, and we have Venus and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and Mercury, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, or maybe Pluto, going around the sun. Those are, those are planets. Exoplanets are planets around other stars. That's all there is to it. Ah, oh, I see. Okay. Okay, and then James, you can go now. What is the biggest galaxy? The biggest galaxy. Yeah, that's a very good question, and I'm sure there is one, but I don't. I don't know the answer. There are there are there are galaxies which are bigger and galaxies which are smaller. The bigger ones are. Let's see. Um, we measure we measure the size or the mass of things in units of the sun, right? Our sun has a certain mass, which is a big number in, in kilograms or grams. A typical galaxy is a billion times more massive than our sun. The biggest galaxies are a thousand billion times more massive than our sun. So they're really big, but but I'm not, I don't, I don't know the name of a galaxy to tell you that's the biggest, sorry. And then another question is, what about the Trappist exoplanet system? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wish I knew the answer. The Trappist system is so interesting. And, and I'm sure that, J, that the James Webb Space Telescope is gonna look at it, but I haven't heard any results from that. And I, and I wonder, I'm, I wonder whether they've done it yet or if they have, they haven't made it public, the results. I should also tell you that, that, that the typical way that it works is that a scientist says, I wanna look at this particular object or this particular piece of the sky. And when they do that, they, they write, he or she writes what we call a proposal. So it's a big document talking about why they wanna do it and how they're gonna use the telescope and what they're gonna learn. And that proposal then goes to a committee and the committee has to choose. And that's done once a year. And then for the whole rest of the year, 